Right now, save 50% off everything at Gap Factory and 50 to 70% off everything at Banana Republic Factory. That's right, 50% off or more on everything in stores and online. Save with tea starting at $6.99 and 40% off clearance at Gap Factory stores. And at Banana Republic Factory stores, fabulous tops start at $9.99 and 50% off clearance. Hurry! Search our store locator for your nearest Gap Factory and Banana Republic Factory store or shop us online. National ACO. National ACO is one of 44 participants admitted to an exclusive group of next generation accountable care organizations by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. National ACO is experiencing strong growth, was nation leading in its first performance year, and had logged five years of successful operations. National ACO's leading innovation in value based health care, alternative payment models, and proactive population health management. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and moderator of This Week in Accountable Care, known to some on Twitter as Ad2HealthGuru and the publisher of ACOWatch.com. I'm joined in the virtual studio today with National ACO's co-founder, Dr. Alex Foxman, who serves as both president and chief medical officer. Dr. Foxman has been practicing internal medicine and preventive care since 2003. Over 14 years of practice, Dr. Foxman has started several successful and innovative medical practice models, including Mobile Physician Associates, a complete mobile group medical practice serving the needs of the homebound, frail elderly and disabled populations of Southern California. This practice model has shown a significant improvement in the quality of patient care with double-digit reductions in overall medical costs. And with that introduction, now for our special guest, Nicole Bradbury. Nicole Bradbury is the Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Board of the Florida Association of ACOs, also known as FLACOS. FLACOS is the premier professional organization for ACOs throughout the state of Florida, which provides education and collaboration in the fee-for-value healthcare space. Nicole consults with early and mid-stage companies to develop business models and go-to-market strategies, specifically around the transition from fee-for-service to fee-for-value payment models. She leverages her strategic relationships and strong leadership operations and technology background to develop innovative products and growth strategies for healthcare providers as they transition to value-based care. Nicole is often found on the speaker faculty for healthcare conferences focused on ACOs, population health, and value-based care. She is passionate about changing healthcare and enabling physicians to provide high-quality, cost-effective, and consumer-focused care. Nicole holds a bachelor's degree in statistics from the University of Florida. 
and is currently pursuing a health informatics master's from the University of Illinois at Chicago. And with that introduction out of the way, Dr. Foxman, over to you. Help us get to know what's on Nicole's plate these days. Thank you, Greg, and good afternoon, Nicole. How are you? Great. How are you? Nice to talk to you. I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Nice talking to you, too. So maybe you could tell, uh, we could start with just telling the audience uh, what drew you to this work, this uh, kind of impressive work in the healthcare space. Well, so I um, started, I don't know if that was in my bio at all, um, but I started on the payer side. I was the Cigna for four years and United Healthcare for 12 years. And probably what drew me to what I'm doing today is the last four or five years I was at United, I led the national deployment of their quality and affordability programs. And it's where kind of for the first time, a payer took a look and said, you know what, healthcare is costing too much. Our quality isn't any better than any other country or, or you know, um, measure that it, as it should be. And so they really went deep into looking at what drove um, cost and quality. And I think we did some really innovative stuff within a payer, but at the end of that journey, you know, really learned that a payer could only go so far and really the next um, – you know, progress or really pushing that needle where it needed to go was moving outside to the provider side and helping doctors really, you know, assume a lot more around medical cost management and quality management and and how do we bring them, you know, programs and solutions and sophisticated wrapper, um, you know, models that can help them drive cost and quality versus the payer pushing them to cost and quality reductions. And I think that led to, you know, subsequent startups that I did around PCMH and then, of course, ACOs and, and, you know, led to forming this association with Slackos. But it was very much, you know, a passion around what is the best solution around driving cost and quality. Great. And, you know, we're, we're some five to seven years into the run of ACOs, depending on if you look at Medicare commercial. And someone like yourself who's been leading proactively uh, a state association such as Flacco's and enabling uh, ACOs to succeed. Can you tell us a couple of your experiences to date of, of uh, how you've led this, uh, this charge? Well, you know, I, I started, um, you know, building and managing ACOs myself with an enablement company that I had started. And that really led to looking out, you know, across Florida and nationally to see how, different groups that were trying to do this were struggling and thought, you know, we shouldn't be competitive with each other. We really should come together and say the goal here is to really move healthcare to value-based care and how can we collaborate and educate and and share best practices in order to have all of us successful and really have value-based care be the new model of the future. And so that's what led me to do Flacco's. And I think, you know, in Florida, I said it at the conference we had last year, you know, Florida is kind of the model of success, 70%. Uh, or 76% of ACOs in Florida have have gotten savings. And this year we expect it to be even higher. And so as a model of success, I think Florida has led the way, and I think Flacco's has been part of helping those ACOs through all that collaboration and education and and just, you know, helping each other um, get there. So it's interesting, you know, uh, nationally the, the the success rate of, of uh an ACO especially let's say in the MSSP Medicare shared savings program is roughly 35% or so uh, uh per year of achieving shared savings we do know though that as a um, value based uh, program such as an MSSP or next gen uh stays in the program longer that success rate increases 
But why do you think there is such a large difference in the success of Florida-based uh, ACOs compared to the nation? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think, you know, Florida has certainly has a lot of Medicare participants, you know, which, which helps with benchmarks and, and some of the, the things that we call luck. But I think more importantly, I think it's, you know, been a managed care kind of environment. Some of the things that um, you uh, want to get providers and, and provider groups to think about, you know, come with that managed care approach, population health approach. And I think Florida as a market generally was a little bit ahead. But I also think, you know, Florida, um, along with the opportunity and, and having some models that, that made it easier, have really come out and, and come out strong in embracing uh, these new models. And I think, you know, and just the fact that we have such a strong association in Florida tells you that, that there is, a, you know, a huge interest and a huge interest to, to collaborate and, and work together to really be successful. And I think all of those things together is why Florida has an unusually high statistic. All right, great. And, and what about kind of obstacles and challenges of, of uh, the experiences of the Florida ACOs? Uh, what do you see that, that is the same or different compared to, to nationally in, in your market? Well, I think everybody struggled with really understanding the impact of um, attribution management and, you know, is risk coding really important in an ACO versus, you know, the MedAdvantage world a lot, of, a lot of the folks lived in. And I think getting, getting to that answer was um, a struggle. I think, um, you know, I think they've been successful in, in understanding that. I think also, um, you know, IT and, and pulling together uh, you know the the right kind of infrastructure and resources you know, around really managing data and understanding analytics, and I think that's of course have been a struggle for a lot of them. But I think you know the reason we're successful in Florida is, is those challenges have been um, uh, overcome to a large extent. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. You know, we have a very successful HIE in Florida, a lot of independent providers in Florida that have really done some great things with their ACOs as far as shared savings and results. And, and so I think certainly a lot of obstacles, but, you know, ultimately I think they're, they're, they're succeeding. So in, in regards to, and, and we do know that you're uh, the CEO and chairman of the uh, Board of Florida Association of ACOs, otherwise known as FLACOs. And what does your, your, your participation, uh, participant mix uh, look like within uh, FLACOs in regards to ACOs? So most of our participants are MSSP. You know, they're still, even though that's starting to change, we, we're starting to see a lot more commercial kind of models. The, the, as far as the, the ACOs, the MSSP ACOs in Florida, most of them um, participate with FLACOs. And so it, it's, there's not a lot that are holding back from, from joining on and, and, you know, understanding the value that we bring. I think um, as we're evolving as an association, it's really taking accountable, accountable care in its broadest sense and saying we're, we're the association that's helping you through this transition to value-based care. So whether it's an MSSP or it's, you know, taking on value-based commercial contract or a specialty, specialist who want to go down a bundled payment path, you know, whatever it is in this um, fee-for-value transition, Flacos wants to be your partner and helping you down that path. And some of the stuff that we're doing this year that we haven't done prior years you know, prior years, it's been mostly networking, education, collaboration, stuff like that. You know, we've recently formed a partnership with um, 
uh, referral network platform where, you know, they're starting to bring in all those social services and, you know, um, home health and, you know, the, the, the entities that don't typically have a lot of technology that are hard to know who's all out there and what's available. We're partnering with a group that's going to make that information readily available to the ACOs. Um, we're also partnering with a, a, a well-known consulting group that um, is going to offer the ACOs in Florida, you know, consulting help in this transition to value-based care. So we're trying to bring real value to our ACO uh, members other than just the networking and collaboration that, that has proved valuable to date. We're just we're taking it to the next level. And have you put together any sort of analysis of how the FLACOS members compare to non-FLACOS members in the state of Florida in regards to things such as shared savings, quality metrics, and just overall success in uh, uh, the ACO and value-based models? Well, you know, the board of FLACOS, you know, runs some of the most successful ACOs in Florida. You know, certainly the ones that have drawn the biggest shared savings, but also have, you know, are kind of leaping ahead um, with, you know, commercial value-based contracts. And so I think just the board itself of FLACOS has, has a, a tremendous track record. The folks that fill our panels at the conferences tend to be those ACOs that are more successful. I think we get participation almost from all of them at, at some level, but the ones that are kind of sitting back that haven't taken as much an active role, I think, you know, haven't had quite the success that some of the ones that have had more of an active role. I, I, I won't go so far as to say it because of Flacco's as much as I think they've embraced the idea of Flacco's and are very active within it. So. All right. Great. And as we know, you know, the, the ACO model is, is a constantly transitioning model, moving more and more into risk-based types of programs nationally. And that, I think that's really the goal of, of our current payers, including CMS to really ha have um, all ACOs have more skin in the game. And uh, I might be a bit biased, but I believe that the next generation ACO model is really that next step in, in that transition and, and probably is, is a very uh, valuable step. Do you have any next generation ACO model uh, participants in FLACOS? So we have four that are active right now in NextGen, but the numbers that have applied or trying to apply um, for approval is they're pretty significant numbers. And so, um, yes, I think, and, and I think honestly with CMS, um, the push is, I, I'm not sure that they're going to extend another contract where they're not going to push um, the existing ACOs to move at least to track two, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's what I think is going to happen with the next, next set of, um, of rules that come out is that they're really going to force that, which I think, um, you know, Florida, for the most part, is embracing. They want that. But I also think that it's going to, you know, create some disruption, but disruption that's ultimately going to kind of move the needle for value-based healthcare overall. Right. And in, in regards to this movement towards, towards risk, uh, you know, we have a, a, a tremendous expansion since, uh, let's say, 2012 of, of the ACO model in the nation now having well over uh, 450 so uh, uh, Medicare-type uh, ACOs and well over 800 uh, commercial ACOs. What do you see kind of in the future, both, both locally and nationally? Do you see an, a further expansion of ACOs, or do you see more of a consolidation of those ACOs that have proven success to, to further expand in terms of their, their um, membership 
uh, within the ACO, but but some ACOs uh, not really taking the next uh, step to to risk. I think that's kind of the disruption I was talking about. Is I think you're going to find, you know, especially with the regional benchmark stuff. I think you're going to find some cherry picking with providers. I think you're going to find those that fall out and and either their doctors move and become part of a larger or successful ACO or there's going to be, you know, some purchasing of these entities in order for growth. I think you're just going to see a lot of new players in and, and some players going out um, just because of the, you know, forcing of the risk and also some of the new rules around regional benchmarks that might change the game for some in a positive way and others in a negative way. So I think overall, I think it's all the right stuff, and, but it is going to cause a lot of disruption. But I think at the end, it's going to just grow and expand. You're also seeing, you know, Medicaid ACO models um, pop up. And I think that's going to, you know, really start to penetrate that space. And, of course, commercial is coming out with all kinds of different flavors of value-based healthcare models. You know, probably the limiter on the commercial side is just, you know, their systems. But as far as desire and want to push, I think it's there. And, and as some of those problems start to be solved, you'll see, you know, that, that those models grow as well. Even with, you know, some of the stuff that's unknown in D.C., I, I still think at the end it's going to be a win for, for value-based healthcare overall. All right. And, you know, in the audience, I'm sure there's, there's lots of uh, different types of, uh, of uh, listeners. What do you say to that listener or that group of listeners who are currently not in a value-based or ACO type of environment? Uh, what would you say to them to, to encourage their participation or the rationale of, of why they would participate with a uh, ACO or value-based model compared to sitting on the sidelines now and, and waiting to see what happens? You know, I think unless you're thinking of retiring in the next few years, I just don't think you have a choice. And I'd say the reason to get in now is because you can you can chart your course or someone's going to chart it for you. So, you know, the, the, the folks that get in early and understand really how to navigate and to be successful in these models are the ones that are going to have more success in the end. So the longer you wait, I think it's just going to be harder um, to, to um, not only be successful, but to bring the most benefit to you as a participant as far as, you know, as a physician, for instance, you know, more revenue, a better experience, you know, I think all of those things are going to be enhanced by getting in early or getting in now. So you've been in this industry uh, uh, nationally uh, for, uh, for quite a long time, and you've seen really this push to, uh, to move ACOs forward. How would you rate the performance of the overall value-based ACO uh, industry uh, nationally um, and, uh, and locally? So I, I still think there's a long way to go. I mean, I think there's still a lot to do. I think, um, you know, it's, it's still, it's not quite the wild, wild west anymore, but, but there's still a lot of, um, you know, maturity that needs to come with, with these models. I think, you know, some of that immaturity brings some innovation and entrepreneurialism, which I think is good. But I think, you know, as far as tools and mindset and education and, you know, right now, um, you know, providers still, for the most part, operate very locally and independently. And I think, you know, moving, you know, how they operate to more of a 
big business and best practices and consistency and conformity you know, without losing, you know, the innovation around diagnosis and, and those practices, I think, is, is where there needs to be some maturity, you know, in, in, in these models. But certainly, um, it's, it's improving. So I'd say if you, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're 40 percent there as far as how good we can be in these models. All right. So, Dr. Foxman, uh, yeah. Dr. Foxman, can I, can I interrupt? Cause I want to follow up on that question. Nicole, do you, um, last, um, uh, program we talked to Don Crane, the CEO of cap G cap G has been a trade group active, uh, advocating for Medicare advantage plans, uh, uh, originally in California. Now they've gone nationally. And, uh, so I'm wondering, do you, do you think ACOs are just a transitional vehicle to a full risk blown Medicare advantage provider sponsored health plan? Or do you, or do you think they have staying power uh, as standalone entities, whether next gen ACOs or, or those in, uh, ultimately dual sided risk under the shared savings program? So I, I truly believe that the providers leading the way is, is, is the best way to get to the best the result we're looking for. So, you know, I know there's a lot of investment going into um, MedAdvantage and they're, you know, buying up ACOs in order to try to move those ACO members into MedAdvantage. And I, and I know there's going to be some of that that's going to happen, but there is a reason people stay in that kind of um, non-managed environment and and I also believe in these ACO models that the way to keep a patient is through better patient engagement and all the stuff that comes with you know the, the these more independent you know the, the ACO model and so I hope not I hope I think the if we're going to really move the needle where we want to I hope it stays outside of med advantage I think it's going to move towards a, a model that looks a little bit more like that but I think providers are the only ones that can truly manage medical costs because it has to be upfront in their decision-making as they're treating patients. It can't be after the fact in a mother may I kind of model. And that's when you move to MedAdvantage, it's very much like that. And so I'm very hopeful that it it stays, um, you know, separate, but bringing some of the sophistication that happens in those models, but, but still very much on the front end, the physicians making decisions. And that's how I, you know, differentiate the two is um, you've got an insurance company that owns MedAdvantage. Providers really are leading the charge on the ACO model, even though a lot of the stuff as it conforms to new gen, et cetera, is going to start to make some of those models look similar. I, I want to also add to that uh, the important word here is choice, uh, beneficiary choice or patient choice. I think Medicare especially was very clear when they developed the accountable care model is that they wanted to allow a continuation of fee-for-service choice for the beneficiary. So that becomes more of a challenge, but that also becomes an opportunity to provide higher levels of care. If we as a, as a, um, as a, uh, as, as healthcare uh, uh, physicians, ACOs, uh, and everyone in the healthcare system really looks closely at, at the triple aim, which is providing a high quali- highest quality of care, highest patient satisfaction at the lowest cost, and we're able to achieve that, I think we can make very great successes with drastically improving our healthcare system, decreasing inefficiencies, but also providing a tremendous value for everyone involved. And I think that's what, what's, what's very pertinent in, 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 
in, in this market. I, I think that Medicare is not going to change their stance to that. And I think that even though we start moving up the level of risk, I think they will try to preserve as much as possible that opportunity for choice. And that's something that, unfortunately, Medicare Advantage plans uh, uh, patients lack is the choice of going to different providers, having the choice of different types of services that may have higher levels of um, satisfaction and higher levels of care than the choices that they, they are limited to. And in fact, you know, if you read certain reports currently, Medicare Advantage participation has actually plateaued quite a bit. And also um, there's, uh, you know, Medicare Advantage plans in many of the markets that have run into trouble because of the limitation of the services they provide internally and, and the quality of services they provide. So I too uh, hope that um, though we continue to move up the, the, the uh, uh, shall we say the hill of uh, risk uh, that we continue to preserve uh, choice for the, for the patient. Yeah, I, I agree with what Dr. Boxman said exactly. I think that you said it very eloquently. So now, uh, Nicole, I want you to. I know, I know that you're you you have a. a, a in, I've heard at least that you're very good about fortune telling. So I want you to take out that crystal ball <laughs> <laughs> from from your purse and tell us what you see in the future of our healthcare system in the next, and especially in, in the ACO market in the next three, five, and ten years. Uh, in the future? Well, I wish I had that crystal ball because I'd probably be, you know, in this beautiful house on the ocean and one over <laughs> in the mountains as well. But, um, but lacking that, um, I do, I do believe that um, healthcare is going to continue to move down this path of value-based care. I think these models are going to become more sophisticated. I think you're going to see, um, you know, everything we just talked about, which is, you know, providers taking on more and more risk I think you're going to see hospitals having to get really innovative on what to do now with these buildings because everybody's, you know, healthier and happier staying at home. And I think the same to be said for, you know, long-term care that, you know, if we, if we do all this right, they're going to have to be creative on how they um, reposition, you know, all those assets because I think it's, it's the right answer. And I think, um, I think three years from now, we probably are going to still be trucking along, you know, getting uh, all of our physicians onto some kind of value-based care um, model, getting them, you know, into a few of them. I think you're going to see messenger model IPAs become high-performing CINs. I think you're going to see ACOs roll up into those. I think you're going to see, you know, MSOs that are called value-based MSOs come partner with those IPAs to help them with, you know, centralizing a lot of um, the capabilities that they need. You know, for instance, um, you know, these new CIN slash, you know, value-based IPAs will need to be able to outsource things like care coordination and care management, you know, be able to share clinical and non-clinical resources like social workers and pharmacists and stuff in a way that, you know, it doesn't really matter in today's models. And so I think you'll see those kind of new MSOs start to creep up. I think you're going to have, you know, as meaningful use isn't as um, pushed and it's more going to alternative payment models, I think you're going to see innovative technology start to happen that's not so constrained with, you know, by meaningful use criteria. And so I think all of that's going to take us down a path of a better healthcare system, you know, where we truly are at the end of the day, 
driving costs down and increasing quality by keeping people in their home and healthier and, and, and not filling up the beds of hospitals. Well, there you go. Well articulated, and I'm sorry to just jump in here, but we only have a few minutes remaining. Nicole, talk a little bit about your fourth annual meeting in Orlando on October uh, 19th and 20th. Give us a little overview, headliners, and sort of the theme of the of the conference. So this year we've we've kind of broken it. We always have two tracks. This year it's it's kind of the you know operational core stuff that that if you're struggling with you know the nuts and bolts, or you're an operator within an ACO or value-based uh, entity, it, it really is an agenda that fits that. But we also have another track, which is very strategic, because as you know, you know, Flacco's tends to be um, mostly attended by um, ACO leaders, entrepreneurs, you know, that are creating companies and products that, that sell into this space. And so we, we know we have to have a very strategic path of, you know, where where is this um, – you know, value-based space going, you know, how do we prepare for it? You know, how do we get ready for the next step? And so I think that track is probably going to be the most popular just because of, you know, traditionally our attendees. But, um, you know, as usual, we've got kind of a provider keynote. Um, we've got, um, um, oh, my God, uh, Mike Howe from Cigna, chief medical officer. We've got our payer panel, you know, with the executives from payers. You know, we've got some of the same themes, but, you know, some really good speakers, um, fun parties. You know, that's always a fun conference. So I'm looking forward to it as usual. And <laughs> I, I hope to see both of you there. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to the fun parties part. Yeah. So uh, that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I do want to thank our guest, Nicole Bradbury, CEO of the Florida Association of ACOs, for her time and insights today. Do follow Flacos on Twitter at, at F-L-A-A-C-O-S. And on the web via www.flacos.com. Do be mindful that they will be convening in Orlando, Florida, October 19th and 20th for the fourth annual meeting. Registration and information is available on the program description on the This Week in Accountable Care Blog Talk Radio homepage. Or you can access it direct via www.flacos.com forward slash conference. Do follow National ACO on the web at www.nacomso and via, on Twitter via the same, NACOMSO. Until we meet again on the, This Week in Accountable Care, for Dr. Foxman, this is your moderator, Greg Masters, saying bye now. Thank you, Greg. Bye-bye. Save 50% off everything at Gap Factory and 50 to 70% off everything at Banana Republic Factory. That's right, 50% off or more on everything in stores and online. Save with tea starting at $6.99 and 40% off clearance at Gap Factory stores. And at Banana Republic Factory stores, fabulous tops start at $9.99 and 50% off clearance. Hurry! Search our store locator for your nearest Gap Factory and Banana Republic Factory store or shop us online. 
Right now, save 50% off everything at Gap Factory and 50 to 70% off everything at Banana Republic Factory. That's right, 50% off or more on everything in stores and online. Save with tea starting at $6.99 and 40% off clearance at Gap Factory stores. And at Banana Republic Factory stores, fabulous tops start at $9.99 and 50% off clearance. Hurry! Search our store locator for your nearest Gap Factory and Banana Republic Factory store or shop us online. 